This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John, and we have felt this is so important that um, that we're giving an entire year to it. So the the year of 2011, uh, we have devoted towards studying the life of Christ in the Gospel of John, and really just learning and fixing our eyes on Him, His Word, His works. Um, and learning all that we can about Christ as we study his life from, from the Gospel of John. So we're closing in. We're in, in the last week of his life. We're, we're pressing in near the, near the cross uh, at, this, at this time in the Gospel of John. Today I'm going to read verses 1 through 17, and this is in John chapter 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my my father's glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray together. God, we posture ourselves before your holy word today, and we say we are in need of hearing from you. We're in need of a vision of you from this scripture. We're in need of understanding who you are and what you've done more clearly. And so we ask you, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we might see you, that you would open our hearts, that we might 
uh, sense you, Lord, that you would open our minds that we might grasp and understand the truth of this passage. God, we submit ourselves as those who haven't figured it all out but who need to learn. So would you speak to us today, Lord, and would you change us today, we ask. God, we ask that you would, Lord, that you would... Um, that you would encourage us, that you would work in us, and that you would make us different people as we read and understand and apply this scripture. So, Lord, we are listening. We ask you to speak through your holy word, this God-breathed word, the Bible. Speak to us through this passage. Show us the Savior. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit and empower me to communicate your truth to the church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, where we are in the Gospel of John is we're at a place where Jesus is comforting and strengthening and encouraging his disciples, for he has just told them that he will be leaving. He's told them, I'm going away and you cannot come with me. And so the disciples are troubled by that news, and that's why chapter 14 begins with him saying, don't let your hearts be troubled because they are troubled. Jesus has told them he's going, and it's left all kinds of questions for them. So in chapter 14, he tells them that he's going to prepare a place for them. His going is good because he will return and take them to be with him in heaven. And he also says this wonderful truth to them in chapter 14, that he's going to go, but he is going to send the Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit will be with them. And get this, the Holy Spirit will be, live in them. He tells them that the Spirit of God will live inside of them. And so the encouragement that while he is away, he will be present with them in a way that he's never been present with them, he will be dwelling in them. He says that the Spirit will lead them into all truth. The Spirit will give them peace. And so he's letting them know that though he is leaving, it will not affect his love, his care, his relationship with them, and it will not affect the mission. For while they are called to lead the mission and to take the message of Jesus forward, the Spirit of God will be in them to empower them to do so. And at the conclusion of all these things, this is what he says in the last verse of 14, 1431. He tells them all that about the Spirit, and he says, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And Jesus literally stands up at this place with his disciples, and he he walks to the cross. I mean, he is now getting up and walking to a garden where he will pray, and he will be arrested, and he will be tried, and the next day he will be crucified. He's at the end of his life, and as he's going, rather than being consumed with his own suffering that's in front of him, he continues to care for the disciples. He continues to teach them. He continues to encourage them. And he does so now by talking about his absence and his relationship with them by, well, speaking to them about a vine. He says that, uh, he tells this example, this kind of object lesson with three parts. There is a vine, um, there are branches on the vine that bear fruit, and uh, there is the vine dresser. A vine dresser is, uh, is a gardener, so there's someone that takes care of the vine. And so this is what he tells them about. Now, why did he pick a vine? And you look at verse 1 of 15, he says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. He's going to go on and say, we are the branches that bear fruit. It's a grapevine. And off the grapevine are branches that have clusters of grapes growing on them. That's what he's talking about. 
Now, why did he pick that? Well, for one reason, that's probably a handy object lesson. They're walking. He's leaving where they've been in the upper room. They're walking to this garden that he will pray in. So very likely they just walked, and there's a vine, and this makes a living object lesson that he could pick up the vine and say, I'm this vine, or I'm like this vine. My father's the one who takes care of this vine, and you're the branches. So he's probably just demonstrating it to them. But the vine also represents Israel. Um, In Isaiah 5, the scripture teaches us that God uh, spoke of Israel as a vine. At the temple, when Jesus is alive, over the porch is a golden carved vine that stretches out over it, representing the people of God Israel. And he's making the point here that he's the true vine. The vine Israel is not fulfilling its purpose. The, The people of God were to point to God. The people of God were to receive their Messiah But they've rejected their Messiah, Jesus. They're rejecting their Messiah, and so they're not fulfilling their purpose of being the people of God to display the glories of God to the nations, to take the message of God to the nations. Jesus is the true vine who will do that. He's the vine who will give his life for those who will believe in him. He will die for our sins. He will be buried. He'll be raised from the dead, and he will bear fruit through his people. That is, those who follow him, who believe in him, who trust him who are Christians. That's what he is talking about here. So he's giving that picture as well. Now, in this, he's making a point that the vine, the purpose of the vine is uh, ultimately to grow grapes, to produce grapes, but some don't. And so God will deal with those branches that don't produce grapes. Verse 2, look what he says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Look at verse 6. Anyone, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So he's saying there, there is this vine, and maybe this is literally on the vine he was pointing to, and there are some branches that are like dead branches. They're, they have no life. They're not bearing any fruit. There's no grapes growing on them. And he says those branches, the gardener will cut those off and throw them away and burn them. That burning is a picture of judgment. So he's saying those who look like they're attached to me, but they're really not, those that look like they're connected to me, but they have no life, well, there's judgment coming for those branches. What what is he talking about? Well, in the first instance, he's talking about right in front of them or right with them. He's likely speaking of Judas. I mean, Judas is one who's looked like he's connected to Jesus, but he's not. And so there's judgment. He's rejected Christ as the Savior, as the Messiah. But throughout the Gospel of John, this happens. Religious people gather, and they're excited about the miracles Jesus do. Religious people listen, and they follow for a little while. When he's feeding the 5,000, everybody's excited about Jesus. And so there's people who, who seem to have faith. They seem to follow for a little while. But then you read a few verses later, and inevitably they're gone. They weren't really connected to Christ. They didn't really believe in Jesus. They weren't really following Jesus. They were just religious people who sort of looked like they were connected to him, but they really weren't. And sadly, there's all kinds of people like that. People that in our day go to church, people that read their Bible, people that are pursuing morality as their Christian life but they're really not connected to Christ. That is, they've never been born again. The Spirit has not come into them and given them new life. They've never really repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior. They're just sort of connected, but there's no spiritual life in them. And they're dead branches, 
and God will separate them at the day of judgment, and their religious connection will mean nothing. It is only a vital living connection with the vine itself, Jesus Christ, that will save in the day of judgment. And so he speaks about the gardener separating the dead branches. And then he also talks about the branches that, other branches that are bearing fruit. And it's interesting that those who are attached to the vine, those who are in union with Jesus Christ, their purpose is to grow grapes. Their purpose is to grow fruit. It's interesting that he picks a vine as a picture, because a vine's a really utilitarian sort of plant. A vine, the whole purpose of a vine is to, to produce grapes. A tree could have other purposes, right? A tree could produce wood. A tree could be a home for birds. A tree could produce shade for us to be under. A tree could house a, you know, could uh, attach a swing to a tree and could use it for that. It could build a tree house. Trees have all kinds of function. A vine has one function. That's to produce grapes. And so he is using the vine and saying that God's plan is to bear fruit. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that God wants our lives to be fruitful. Do you know that today? Do you believe that? That God wants your life to be fruitful. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified when you connected to Christ by faith when you bear fruit in your life. That brings glory. What does that mean? That, that brings attention. That brings honor. That brings focus on God. That God is glorified when there is fruit in our lives. Or look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I've chosen you so that you may go and do what? Bear fruit. God chooses us for the purpose of bearing fruit in our lives. God wants to work in you, Christian. God wants to work through you, brother. God wants to display his life in you, sister. Christian, God wants to bear fruit in your life. He wants to make a difference in your life. And then he wants to use you so that he can make a difference in the lives of others. That's his plan. In the previous chapter, he has said, I will dwell in you. Actually, later Jesus is going to say, it's better that I'm not here. That's unfathomable. God in the flesh is standing there with the disciples. Here is God in the flesh, Jesus. And he's saying, it's better if I go. Because if I go, the Spirit will live in you, and what the Spirit will do is He will produce produce internally, the life of God will produce internally fruit through you. So that's better than me standing here with you. Do you view your life that way, that God wants to make a change? God wants to make a difference. God, by the presence of His Holy Spirit, wants to work through everyone who's attached to the vine. Not just leaders. Not just those with certain gifts. Not just those who have an ability to to lead publicly. God wants to bear fruit through everyone that is connected to the vine. See, the challenge for some of us is we don't live our lives. We live aware of our limitations. We just think, well, I could never do that. 
I'm just sort of, yeah, I'm a branch, I'm connected, I get all that, but I'm just sort of attached. I mean, there's other branches that are huge coming off the vine. And there's so many grapes that they're just falling off the vine. I'm sort of like this little wimpy branch, and that's okay, that's what God created me. I'm just sort of limited. And, you know, every now and then, you know, a little grape will pop out, and this, I don't know what a, I don't know if the sound effect for a growth, the growth of a grape. I'm not very good at sound effects and, and that kind of stuff, but just whatever, pop. Okay, the grape just comes out. That, I've just got my one little grape here, just a little bit of fruit, but I'm really just limited. I'm really primarily aware of my sins. What I'm most aware of, what I see most clearly, what I'm most sure of, what I'm most confident in, what I'm most, you know, just overwhelmed by is the fact that I'm a sinner. It's it's my sin, so I'm sort of a stubby little branch that's just sort of hanging on here to eke out a grape or two and then make it to heaven. We're aware of our limitations, our sins, our weaknesses. Some of us are aware of our past. Somebody recently in a conversation, I was talking to someone, and they were telling me that based on their past, they really thought that could limit how God could use them. Now, they were just very aware of their past, living with a sense of guilt. This is as a Christian. And yet, that's not what Jesus says. He says, if you're attached to the vine, it's my Father's will to bear fruit through you. That an awareness of our limitations is actually, that, an awareness of your limitations qualifies you for fruit bearing. Weakness qualifies you for fruit bearing. Being aware of your sin is not a place to stop. It's good to be aware of sin. We should be. God is holy. And so we should be aware of our sin. But that is ultimately to posture you so that you and I can then come to the cross of Christ receive forgiveness, freshly recognize His resurrection power, freshly recognize His power by the Spirit which lives in us, which washes us clean, changes us internally, and then empowers us to bear fruit as forgiven sinners. God at work. Yes, you're sinful. Yes, you're limited. Yes, you're weak. So am I. And it's those folks that God changes and empowers and produces fruit in us and through us. That's, that's the reason he's going to the cross is to die for our sins. The reason he's being resurrected is to overcome the power of sin, death, the grave, the devil. Why? So that he will bear fruit in us. We're not just hanging on to make it to heaven with no expectation of our life counting for anything. Some of us live like, well, if I just don't really blow it, if I just make it through without really blowing it, that's my goal. No, the goal is to bear much fruit because that fruit glorifies God. He chose you to bear fruit is what he We just read that, verse 16. If you are saved, that is, if you have turned from your sin, you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior alone, you are a candidate for fruit bearing. bearing. More than that, it is God's will that you bear much fruit in your life. And now that I've spoken 20 minutes about bearing fruit, it would probably be good to talk about what is fruit, to answer what is fruit. Now, in this passage, I'm going to talk about several things. What is fruit, how is fruit produced, and what does fruit look like? So I want to talk about those kind of things from the text. First of all, what is fruit? Now, here's the deal. In this passage, Jesus doesn't really define fruit. And so here's kind of a principle for interpretation. If there's not a clear, a very clear and an obvious definition, then we are better off not providing our own specific narrow definition. We're safer 
being broad in the way we speak about it. Now, some people would say, this is fruit that he means, and give you like one thing. Uh, I'm not so comfortable with that because Jesus doesn't say exactly what that fruit is. So I think it's safe to be broad. If you have an ESV study Bible, in the footnotes at the bottom, that's not the Scripture. That's a guy's interpretation of the Scripture. It's what is above the line is the Word of God. What's below that's, dude's, that's some dude's best guess, okay, as to what it means. A studied, scholarly, hopefully spirit-led guess, but it's not the Bible. But under there, in the not the Bible portion, the guy does say something helpful. Kostenberger, who writes the notes, says, Fruit is an image of good results coming from the life of a believer. That's very broad. Good results coming from the life of a believer, probably in terms of bringing benefit to the lives of others and advancing the work of God in the world. So it's God at work producing good results in our lives, good results that, you know, that doesn't mean healthy, wealthy, and wise. Good results means the work of God, character, the, 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 the work of the Spirit in us for the benefit of others and likely for the purpose of advancing the gospel. You know, another way to, to think about this is fruit is, well, it's tangible growth. It's tangible evidence of God at work in us. It's tangible evidence of God producing something in our lives, in us and through us, as we are vitally connected to Christ. So connected to Christ, God works in us as we respond to him and produces godly character, godly power godly work through us, not just so that we can say, wow, look at all these grapes so that we can be carrying around a lot of fruit, but so that we can be used for the benefit of others to build up Christians and to reach those who don't know Christ. So it has that end in view and ultimately to glorify him because he's glorified as we bear fruit. So that's a little bit. You know, another hint at this Granted, this is a different author in a different book, but Paul in Galatians speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. It's very much what's being talked about here. The Spirit dwells within us, the Holy Spirit, or we're connected to Christ by the Holy Spirit. And what does the Spirit do in us? He bears fruit. He grows fruit in our lives, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know, you perhaps are familiar with that passage. So the spirit lives in you and he makes this fruit as you cooperate with him. He makes this fruit grow in your life. What is that fruit? It's not apples, oranges, bananas. It's love, joy, the character of Christ. So that's probably the same thing he's talking about here works the character of Christ. So how is this fruit produced? That's the second question. What is it? How is it produced? Well, it's produced by being connected to Jesus. And then he gives really two ways here. The first one is God produces fruit through us by pruning us, pruning us. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. What's pruning? Well, a pruning is cutting. A pruning is trimming. You trim a plant. You trim a bush. You trim a tree. You trim a vine. It's a cutting away so that the plant, the tree, the bush will grow more fruit to be productive. So there's a blade involved. And the thing here is that the branch isn't literal. The branch is me. The branch is you. It's the Christian that God trims away. So what does that mean, that he trims, that he cuts us back, that we might bear more fruit? I think it's probably safe to say that's that's like the work of 
discipline that God does in our lives. I mean, there's a number of ways that God prunes us. A primary way is through the Scripture. So you read the Scripture, you're cut to the heart by the Scripture, like in Acts 2. Um, God addresses us, adjusts us, and we repent, and we trust Him, and He changes us as we follow Him, uh, turning away from our sin and turning to Him. So that, that's certainly a way. Another way that I think He trims us, cuts us back at points, is through the circumstances, the difficulties, the trials that we face in our lives. Kind of like discipline, which is a good thing. Think about Hebrews 12, verse 11. It says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the writer of Hebrews says God will discipline us He can do that through our circumstances, through trials, through difficulties, through, in fact, placing some of those limitations and challenges upon us. And he does that so that we're ultimately able to bear more fruit. Paul experiences this kind of situation where a thorn in the flesh is given to Paul. We don't know what it is, but something is given to Paul that's difficult, that he wants removed from his life. But God doesn't remove it, and Paul's conclusion is that in my weakness, God is strong. So God works his strength through my weakness. So this limitation, these insults, these persecutions, and the list of things he's experiencing that are difficult, God uses those as ways of ultimately showing his strength through me. Here's what pruning does. It cuts us back so that we see our need for God, so that we see that we are need the life of the vine in us. It shows us that that life, our spiritual life, is found in our connection with Christ. It's found in the Holy Spirit working in us. It's not found in our strength. It's not found in our abilities. See, pruning takes us away from leaning on the various, well, crutches that we might have to hold ourselves up. The crutch of my experience, the crutch of my wisdom, my knowledge, the crutch of friends, the crutch of leaders, the crutch of techniques and practices, whatever will make everything come together for me in my spiritual life. It removes those crutches. It cuts everything that we're leaning on away so that we lean on Christ alone, so that that vital connection to the vine is what we see and what we receive and embrace and enjoy. It's Christ that strengthens us. So God cuts us back in various ways so that we rely on the vine. Lean on him and we experience his life and we bear more fruit. Whenever God is pruning, it is for more fruit. You know, sometimes we can have a thought, well, you know, when I go through seasons of real trial and difficulty or long seasons or a lifetime, some people have trial Their life is dominated by a particular trial sometimes. We can think, well, that means I'm not bearing as much fruit. Or we think I can't bear as much fruit in my life because I'm in a difficult circumstance. The reality is those difficulties are the very means that God uses to bear fruit. And we are not limited. You are not limited to fruit bearing based on the challenges in the circumstances of your life. I was meeting with someone recently who felt like because of the circumstances of their life, which placed some real limitations on them, that they wouldn't be able to do as much for God, we could say it that way, as someone else could do who didn't have their challenges and limitations. So they felt 
the confining circumstances, which were not due to like their own personal sin or, you know, they weren't putting those confinements on themselves. The confining circumstances that God had placed them in, they felt would limit their fruit bearing. The reality is that in those confining circumstances, if we're responding to God, we can bear tremendous fruit. Tremendous fruit. Sometimes those who have the most difficult circumstances bear the most fruit. If through their suffering, God's power is on display. So you are not disqualified. And God is not opposed to you. And God is not pruning you because he doesn't want you to bear fruit. It's just the opposite. The challenges in your life are so that you bear more fruit than you would. That's, that's God at work in us. He not only talks about pruning, but he also talks about abiding in Christ or remaining. So how is fruit produced? Well, it's through the pruning of the Lord, the cutting back, and it's also through abiding. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying, remain in me, abide in me. So this is Jesus talking to the disciples. And I'm going to go away, but you're going to be okay because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live in you. You're going to lead the mission of the church. Uh, You're going to follow me. Keep my commandments because the Holy Spirit's going to be in you and you're going to be connected to me. So now given that, remain in me, abide in me. That means we're already connected to Christ, but we need to be consciously dependent on Christ. Abiding is to be aware, is to be consciously dependent. It's to recognize our need and to respond to him, expressing our need with confident trust that he will strengthen us and meet us in our need. So we are to remain dependent on him. It's just easy to, uh, to, to, to not be dependent on him until we're pruned and then we're aware of our need for him and then we cry out independence on him. But God wants us to actively posture ourselves as those that need him. He says in verse 3, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, he doesn't mean literally nothing. There's all kinds of people that are not Christians that did stuff today. They woke up. They ate breakfast. They're cutting the yard right now. They're doing stuff. So he does, when he says apart from me, you can do nothing, he doesn't mean literally nothing. Of course, actually, if he doesn't sustain our heartbeat and keep us alive, we can't live. So we can't live without him. That's true. But what he's talking about here is that you won't bear fruit without him. Without him, you can do nothing. He's talking about the kind of the life of God, the work of God, the spiritual progress. You can't change your own character apart from God. You can't bear the fruit of the Spirit in your strength. You, you can't lead someone else to Christ in your power. You can't be aware and convicted by your sin in your own ability. And then you can't want to change and then actually change in your own strength. We can't do that. He's saying we are connected to Christ and we need him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can bear no fruit, in other words, apart from a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. 
We need him to produce fruit in us and through us as we uh, respond to him and cooperate with his work in our lives. The problem is, oftentimes we're not consciously dependent on him. And oftentimes we're not thinking that the way to life changes to pursue Christ. That's what he's saying. We complicate things. I complicate things. The Christian life is really far, far simpler than I make it often. What he's saying is abide in Christ. Pursue Jesus. Think about Jesus. Read about Jesus. Pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Commune with him. That it is in pursuing Christ that brings life change. It's not in pursuing the fruit that brings life change. So we don't pursue certain practices to be a changed person. We pursue Jesus who then changes our hearts so that we have those changed practices. I'm going to show you a picture right now that uh, sort of illustrates uh, this, uh, this reality. Now, in the back, you may be able to see it's a little dark because this isn't a literal picture I took. I was in a, uh, a place that had this picture on the wall. So with my camera phone, I took a picture of a picture. So that's why it's not brilliant in all its display. So I'll explain it a little bit if you can't see it. Uh, this is some kind of a tree. I don't know what it is, an oak tree, an elm tree. I'm not really a tree person, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I like trees. I'm not opposed to them. Because some of you are already talking to me about not being a cat person, because I've mentioned that several times. I just don't know about trees. I don't despise them. So it's different than the cat thing. So um, uh, anyway, okay, okay. I'm just not doing well with some people. Actually, someone told me in the new members class last week, I'm joining this church because of what you said publicly about cats. <laughs> so I don't know how many people aren't joining or are leaving the church because of what I said about cats, but there's one dear lady who told me she's joining because of my, I mean, I hope it's a little bit more than that, but in part due to my position on cats, she's joining the church. So this is a tree, let's call it an oak tree, whatever it is. On this oak tree are all kinds of bananas, on the uh, on the trunk of the tree. And as best I can tell, they're not real bananas. They kind of look like plastic bananas. And they're tied to the tree with it, what it looks like some, you know, some of that uh, plastic white uh, tie. It looks like a plastic white tie. So what it looks like is someone has taken a tree and to make it appear like in a banana tree, they have tied plastic bananas on the trunk of the tree. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Because here's a real banana tree. We have another picture for you. This is, that's what a banana tree looks like. So if you see that, that's a real banana tree. And the reason it's producing those bunches, those clusters, whatever, those groupings, uh, you know, of, uh, the, that herd of bananas is because it's a banana tree. And so it's growing these bunches of bananas. Now, if we can go back to the other one, please, just a second. So the other one is just another kind of tree that someone tied fruit to it. And and this is the way a lot of us live our Christian lives is. We look at someone else's life. We look at, well, they're godly. What are they doing? What are their practices? And we try to embrace a technique. We try to find out what are their, you know, what are the six steps to victory? What are the three ways of spiritual power? What are the sort of practices that I can do? So so we, we realize our life is spiritually whacked out, and we're not making any ground, and we're not growing in the Lord, and we're a mess, so we'll just find some other people that look like they've got it going spiritually, and we'll find out what do you do? What are your steps? What are your keys? What are the, what are the steps in your marriage? What is, the, what is the parenting plan that you are following? And so we begin to look at the fruit in their lives. 
What is the, what is your plan at work? What are you doing? Uh, how are you defeating the temptation to, uh, lust or gluttony or greed? Tell me your steps. And so then we try to take their steps and put them on us so that we have that fruit in our lives. And it ends up being about that ridiculous. It's just attaching external practice or result without being connected to Jesus. The reason the real banana tree was producing bananas is because it was, well, the the bunches were connected to a living banana tree. And if we want to be like Christ and have a life that is increasingly being conformed to Jesus, then we need to be connected to Christ. We need His Word working in us. We need our minds shaped by who He is and what He's done. We need our motivations changed by Him. We need our hearts touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need a vision of what the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, what difference that makes in our lives, so that in Internally, we are experiencing new desires as we follow Christ, as we worship, as we gaze, as we read, as we meditate, as we fellowship with His people, as we sing, as we encounter His Spirit. Our hearts are changed so that the fruit that comes out is not plastic fruit tied on with a twist tie of some sort, but it's real fruit that God is producing in us because we're attached to the vine. Those are two very different ways of Christianity. One is moralistic. Just do the stuff. Just do the practices and be a good Christian. The other is what we might call gospel-driven, gospel-inspired, where God is changing us by the power of the gospel through the agency of the Holy Spirit as He deals with us according to His Word so that His fruit is, is being born in our lives. So that the cluster of grapes, yes, we correspond with him. Yes, we respond to him. Yes, we're active in that process, but it is him that is working through us and not us just taking techniques and importing them into our lives. There's nothing wrong with a method. There's nothing wrong with a practice. The question is, where did that come from? Did it, does it originate with heart change in my life or, does, or is it cut and paste? That's the difference. And so he's saying that real fruit comes because we, as we abide in the vine, as we are connected to Christ, he works in us. He explains practically how this works. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So he paints this picture of the scripture, the word of God, alive in our heart as we're reading it, as we're studying it, as we're memorizing it, as we're meditating on it. That the life of God expressed through the scripture is abiding in our hearts. So we're getting to know Christ better. The word of God in our lives teaches us who Jesus is and stirs our affections to want to serve him and follow him and know him. And the Holy Spirit is changing us. And then he says, pray and ask whatever you want and I'll do it for you. Why? Because the Word of God is informing our desires. The Word of God is informing and changing our hearts. So the things we're praying for, are it's the will of God. It's the glory of God. It's the purpose of God. And He's answering our prayers. So we're connected to Christ because the Spirit lives in us. We're connected to Christ through the Word. He's abiding in us. We're praying. He's changing. And He's bearing fruit in our lives in that way. Well, what does this fruit look like? What does this fruit really look like? And we're going to just blow past this last section because of of time. Um, But I I do want to give you three things that Jesus says that this fruit will look like. First of all, the fruit will look like obedience in our lives. 
joyful obedience. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's saying, based on my love, live in my love, abide in my love, be aware of my love. As the Father's loved me, so I have loved you. And the result of that is obey what I say, keep my commandments. And my joy will be in you. Your joy will be full. That's, that's a crazy idea for some of us because we think obedience equals drudgery. If I obeyed the Bible, I'd be miserable, right? No. The Bible teaches the most joyful people on the planet are those who, by the Spirit's power, <coughs> obey, the, obey the Scripture. I mean, it just stands to reason that if the God who created us and the God who saved us by the work of Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins, and the God who now dwells in us by the Spirit, and the God who speaks to us through the Bible, that if we do what he commands, we would be the happiest of all people because we're living life the way it was designed to be lived. It's when we step out of connection with God and we seek to do something else that we think, we think obeying God is enslaving. It's freeing. There's no greater freedom than relating with Jesus Christ and obeying him. Slavery is getting away from God and ultimately doing what we think will make us happy and pursuing alternative plans and pathways. That's enslaving. Sin enslaves. It's deceptive. Sin tells us you'll be happy if you do this, but the reality is it will lead to enslavement. It's just, oh yeah, cuff me. And put the shackles around my legs. That's what we're doing. This is going to be really fun. And we're enslaved. We're, we're enslaved. We're captive. But following Christ brings joy to our lives. And so real fruit will involve obedience to God as he is working in us by the power of the gospel, by his spirit. That will bring obedience and it will bring joyful obedience. Secondly, it will result in loving one another. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So he's saying, look, you're my friends. In the Old Testament, there's only one guy that's called a friend of God. That's Abraham. By implication, Moses is sort of called the friend of God. said God talked to him like he would a friend. So Moses is sort of called the friend of God, but really only one is called explicitly the friend of God. Jesus says, everyone that trusts me as their Savior believes in me. I'm going to make you all my friends, and I'm going to let you in on a secret. You're not just like a a servant that doesn't know what's going on that gets a to-do list, but you're my friends. I'm telling you all of these things about how I work and truth. I'm showing you the Father. I'm at work in you. So he's our friends. And we are to love one another, he says, as he has loved us. So what is fruit? Well, it's loving other people. It's being connected to Christ, our friend, and then responding to others as he has responded to us. That's a great word as we start back our community groups. We took a break over the summer, but this week we're starting community groups back. And one of the fruits, one of the opportunities we have is to love one another not based on our preferences, not based on our race, not based on our socioeconomic status, not based on our hobbies, not based on our life stage, not based on our gender, I mean, not based on anything. 
but based on the gospel alone and Jesus alone, now we are to love, care for, help, encourage, lay down our lives for one another. That's fruit. So fruit is obeying God, fruit is loving one another, and lastly, fruit is our mission. And when I say mission, I mean outreach, our external mission, because what we're doing here is part of our mission as well, but I'm talking about external mission. Look what it says in verse 16, and we're done. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Here he talks about fruit that is born as we go. Most commentators tie this to the mission of going, that the disciples, after Jesus uh, dies, he's resurrected, he then ascends to the Father, and, and he tells them to wait, and that the Holy Spirit will come on them, and then they will go, and they will take the mission forward, reaching people with the gospel. And so here he's talking about that kind of thing, going and bearing fruit a change of location, a going out, a connecting outside of loving one another. Um, He says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So that as you go, connected to Christ, as you go as a branch, connected to the vine, the Holy Spirit working in your life, bearing fruit, that new fruit will result as you go out and live and demonstrate the character of Christ, as you go out and share the good news of what Jesus has done for you in the marketplace, in your neighborhood, in your jobs, in your fam- with your family, with whoever you come into contact with, that as you go, there will be more fruit that will be born and that other people will be connected to the vine. Other people will meet Jesus and that fruit will remain as he saves them as well. So it's fruit that just doesn't terminate on us. Like we're all happy just because we're here as doing the stuff God called us to do. No, it's God's working in us for his glory, for the good of one another in the church as we love one another. And so that we go and bear fruit where those who don't know Jesus Christ so that the fruit terminates outside of us. It terminates to the glory of God. It terminates to the loving of one another as Christians, and it terminates toward reaching others who don't know him and bearing fruit there. Significant what Jesus is doing. He is sent, and he is sending them. And not only were the disciples sent, but the church is sent. I'm sent. You're sent. We're sent as well. So what does this fruit look like? Well, it looks like obedience, and not just obedience, but obedience so that our joy would be full. It looks like community, loving one another, and it looks like mission, that is external outreach to those who aren't yet part of the community of faith. Obedience, community, mission, outreach. This is what Jesus wants to do. And remember, he said it's his Father's will that we bear much fruit. I think because of the power of God, Because of the power of the gospel, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, because of the word of God, we should have anticipation, we should anticipate and have hope for great progress in all of these. We can have as much hope as God is powerful. If God's not powerful, then we should have little hope for progress. But if God is powerful, there's something much greater than tying on plastic fruit and looking like happy Christians. There's real life change connected to Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, so that we can grow in obedience and be joyful that God is at work in us. We can grow in love for one another, joyful that God is building us together as a community, and we can go and bear fruit 
expecting that God will save people just as he saved us, that God will bring people as we invite them to come in and hear the gospel here at church, that God will give us the words to say to share our testimony and share the gospel so that people would be born again as they hear the gospel themselves. I think we have great hope. That's what he left with the disciples. I'm leaving, but here's what I'm going to do when I'm away. I'm going to give you the power to obey. I'm going to build you into a community, and I'm going to send you out to change the world in connection with me, the true vine. And that wasn't just for those disciples. That's for anyone who would believe. That's for you, and that's for me as well. Let's pray. God, we do want to see that kind of fruit in our lives today. Lord, we start by confessing we cannot produce fruit by just doing the stuff we think we should be doing, by just adopting someone else's practices, by just imitating, by saying the right verbiage, by just doing things. Lord, we need to be changed internally. And so we pray today, God, that you would work in our hearts, that as we are connected to the vine, you would produce much fruit. We pray that your word would abide in us as you talk about We pray that we would ask for great things according to your will and that you would answer and do those things in us. We pray that we'd be a people that's continually growing in obedience. We pray that we'd be a people that's continually growing in love. We pray that we'd be a people that's continuing to grow, continuing to grow in outward mission. Lord, we ask you that you would do all of these things in us, to us, through us, for your glory. God, we pray that we would be a people that are bearing much fruit. We pray that the next generation in our midst would grow up and that they would bear even more fruit than we do, that this fruit would continue and that this fruit would remain and that you would glorify yourself, that you would put the work of Jesus Christ on display through our community, through our lives, through our speech and through our testimony, that Jesus might be known here as his people connected to him are bearing much fruit. We pray that you do. Lord, this is impossible. We cannot change ourselves. We've tried. We need you. We're confident and grateful that you will act and you will help us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.